Have you ever been completely in control and then all of a sudden out of control? Have you ever been completely in control and all of a sudden control completely was ripped from you one way, shape, or form? I know for me, there have been a number of different scenarios in my life where that has taken place. One in particular I've shared before from the front, so I'll beg you the long story and give you the short story. Me and Jess were on a trip to a cabin in Georgia, and we took uh, the travel of car, and we were traveling through the backwoods of Tennessee, and it was dark out in the kind of the middle of November. December, so it got dark quicker, and we were rounding a bend, and all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden, my car hit something, right, underneath of it, and we should, and I was like, that didn't sound good, nice, or friendly at all, right, and I, I would kept driving, and all of a sudden, right, the car started to go, and then it stopped, and we, the closest town we were to was Ducktown, Tennessee, right? Which you know no help is coming from Ducktown, Tennessee, right, at all. And so we were trapped with no car working. Uh, the car was still on, right, so we could get heat. That pretty much faded after about 15, 20 minutes. The car completely died, right? There were not many cars between uh, us and safety that were traveling by us, right? We eventually, right, after a couple, like, uh, cars passed by, we eventually got a truck to stop, right? It was this young guy who's probably about our age at, the, at that time, young 20-year-old, and we just said, dude, we, we are stuck. Uh, there's probably bears out here. Uh, our cell service was zero. We didn't have any cell service. Uh, there, the car was dead. It was just all bad news. We said, could you help us, right? And in that moment, what was happening was this. As I slowly realized this, right, after the, the scenario, I was going from completely in control, driving the car, knowing where we were going. We were going to a cabin. We had everything planned. We were going to have fun. It was going to be a blast to slowly realizing in that scenario, I had no control at all. And this young 20-something-year-old that we had just met on the side of the road where we were closest to Ducktown, Tennessee, we were putting our hands into his life and said, please help us, right? And I'm here today, so we made it, right? You can just assume that. He didn't take us back anywhere and do anything crazy, right? He took us to the nearest town. We got a hotel the next day. Actually, that late that night, 2 o'clock in the morning, the tow truck could get us. So we went out. Tow truck got the car, got it fixed, all the craziness, right? But there was a moment in my life where I had a distinct realization about what was going on, right? I had a distinct realization that most of my life is out of my hands. That was just a very distinct moment where that was realized, right? And in that moment, I realized how little control I had over my entire life, right? And here's the reality. I think for us, I'll just term it this way, and I'm saying this about myself too, control freaks, that's a scary conversation, right? It's a scary conversation, because the minute that I lose or assume I lose control and it becomes chaos, right, anxiety starts to build in so many different ways. So many different ways and shapes and forms. And last week we started this series and we just talked about all the different kind of physical signs that you and I will have when anxiety strikes, right? When we're on the side of the road, zero cell service, zero car service, zero person service, right, and bears, right, you're sitting there, and your stomach is going, your head is spinning, your heart is racing, and you're like, what is going to happen to us, right? And there's moments where chaos ensues, and those things take place. And it may be for a number of reasons, right? 
It may be for a number of reasons that you and I will face that. We talked about this briefly last week, right? For, for some of us, right, it's just circumstantial. Life circumstances have just blown us out of the water and we don't even know what to do with them. We're racing around trying to figure out how do we navigate the personal challenges that life deals us, right? For others of us, right, and I would say this is a communal thing, we have had so much change in the last 30 years, maybe even we can say the last three years, right? We don't know what to do with it all. We don't know how to keep up on it all, right? I was talking to a friend of mine on Thursday, and he, he's in the tech world. To open up is this. Have you ever been completely in control and then all of a sudden out of control? You ever been completely in control and all of a sudden control completely was ripped from you one way, shape, or form? I know for me, there have been a number of different scenarios in my life where that has taken place. One in particular I've shared before from the front, so I'll beg you the long story and give you the short story. Me and Jess were on a trip to a cabin in Georgia, and we took uh, the travel of car, and we were traveling through the backwoods of Tennessee, and it was dark out in the, kind of the middle of November. December, so it got dark quicker, and we were rounding a bend, and all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden, my car hit something, right, underneath of it, and, we should, and I was like, that didn't sound good, nice, or friendly at all, right, and I, I kept driving, and all of a sudden, right, the car started to go, and then it stopped, and we, the closest town we were to was Ducktown, Tennessee, right? Which you know no help is coming from Ducktown, Tennessee, right, at all. And so we were trapped with no car working. Uh, the car was still on, right, so we could get heat. That pretty much faded after about 15, 20 minutes. The car completely died, right? There were not many cars between uh, us and safety that were traveling by us, right? We eventually, right, after a couple, like, uh, cars passed by, we eventually got a truck to stop, right? It was this young guy who's probably about our age at, the, at that time, young 20-year-old, and we just said, dude, we, we are stuck. Uh, there's probably bears out here. Uh, our cell service was zero. We didn't have any cell service. Uh, there, the car was dead. It was just all bad news. We said, could you help us, right? And in that moment, what was happening was this. As I slowly realized this, right, after the, the scenario, I was going from completely in control, driving the car, knowing where we were going. We were going to a cabin. We had everything planned. We were going to have fun. It was going to be a blast to slowly realizing in that scenario, I had no control at all. And this young 20-something-year-old that we had just met on the side of the road where we were closest to Ducktown, Tennessee, we were putting our hands into his life and said, please help us, right? And I'm here today, so we made it, right? You can just assume that. He didn't take us back anywhere and do anything crazy, right? He took us to the nearest town. We got a hotel the next day. Actually, that late that night, 2 o'clock in the morning, the tow truck could get us. So we went out. Tow truck got the car, got it fixed, all the craziness, right? But there was a moment in my life where I had a distinct realization about what was going on, right? I had a distinct realization that most of my life is out of my hands. That was just a very distinct moment where that was realized, right? And in that moment, I realized how little control I had over my entire life, right? And here's the reality. I think for us, I'll just term it this way, and I'm saying this about myself too, control freaks, that's a scary conversation, right? It's a scary conversation, because the minute that I lose or assume I lose control and it becomes chaos, right, anxiety starts to build in so many different ways. 
so many different ways and shapes and forms. And last week, we started the series, and we just talked about all the different kind of physical signs that you and I will have when anxiety strikes, right? When we're on the side of the road, zero cell service, zero car service, zero person service, right? And bears, right? You're sitting there, and your stomach is going, your head is spinning, your heart is racing, and you're like, what is going to happen to us, right? And there's moments where chaos ensues and those things take place. And it may be for a number of reasons, right? It may be for a number of reasons that you and I will face that. We talked about this briefly last week, right? For, for some of us, right, it's just circumstantial. Life circumstances have just blown us out of the water and we don't even know what to do with them. We're racing around trying to figure out how do we navigate the personal challenges that life deals us, right? For others of us, right, and I would say this is a communal thing, we have had so much change in the last 30 years, maybe even we can say the last three years, right? We don't know what to do with it all. We don't know how to keep up on it all, right? I was talking to a friend of mine on Thursday, and he, he's in the tech world, and he was telling me about all these different things going on, and he's like, do you see that? Did you see this? Do you see that? And I am not in the tech world, and I'm not on social media and all that stuff, and I was like, no, no. Oh, that happened, right? There's so much you can keep up with. There's so much to do. There's so much that has changed in our conversations even. And then lastly, we just have a, a pace complexity, right? You and I know this. We look at our calendars, and it is full. And most of the things, right, most of the things are, are good things and healthy things and maybe are, are wise things, but it's just full, and the pace is complex, and you smash all those things together, and all of a sudden, you're dealt a hand where chaos will ensue very quickly, and anxiety starts to become something that makes its home inside of us, right? Makes our, our home inside of us, and it starts to kind of navigate our life. And what I think it's easy to become is, is worried and anxious, but really what I've found in my life, and I don't know if you feel this, you kind of start to, when you live kind of in this moment of anxiety where you go from in control to chaos, you live in this low-grade anxiety all the time, just kind of assuming something's going to come right? It's the big what if we talked about last week. And so you're always just kind of on edge. You got a little bit of a trigger finger of what may happen, what's going to take place, is this going to take place over here, or am I going to have to deal with this? And anxiety starts to just live in and amongst you. So we started this conversation last week because it is a pertinent conversation. It's one as you and I navigate the world as it is today, we face or have groupings or communities or circles that face it with us or that we're in the mix with. All of us on an individual level probably have faced this one time or another, and on a communal level, we face this. And so as we've navigated this conversation the first week out, said, what does it look like to live in the presence of God in the midst of anxiety? Because here's the reality. What I love about Jesus Jesus, what he does beautifully is he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Jesus knew that we would have moments where we would go from feeling in control to chaos. Jesus sets us up for these conversations and ushers in something new. This is what Jesus says in John 16 as he's talking to his disciples. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That is what we're talking about this entire series. In the midst of anxiety, where do you find peace? Because where you find peace is where you're going to find and be present at, right? And find, trying to find your peace out of that. And so Jesus says, in me you have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Here's the reality. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, right? He says, you will have trouble in this world. You just will. Whether it's pace complexities, whether it's personal challenges, whether it's just astronomical change that you didn't anticipate, think about, or know about, right? You will have trouble in this world. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Now listen, eyes up here, eyes up here. Some of us, right, some of us have been overcome by trouble, right, and anxiety and stress and the intensity of what comes with that, right? And Jesus would say this, lean into me, because in me is peace, and I have overcome the world by my death and resurrection. And then he says this in a chapter later, John 17, he goes here. He says, I'm coming to you now as he's praying to his father and he's kind of letting the disciples in, right? But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. What I love about Jesus is this. Jesus, right? Jesus lets us know that trouble will be a part of life. But he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He doesn't leave us empty-handed. What I love about Jesus is he attacks two things that generally anxiety attacks, my peace and my joy, right? My peace and my joy. That's why I love where Jesus leaves his disciples. Do you understand what's happening in this scene? His disciples are sitting with him, and this is one of the last moments that they are going to have with him before he goes to the cross, and he's sharing that with them, and, and he's sharing, hey, this is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen when I leave. And they're like, you're going to leave what? What are you talking about? And if you sit in the room with Peter and John, and you understand Matthew, and you understand that these guys were just real guys like you and me. They were fishermen, tax collectors. They were just real guys like you and me, and they're wondering what is going to happen after Jesus leaves. And he says, eh, listen, in me is peace, and in me is joy, and I've overcome the world. Some of us, some of us, like myself, like we talked about last week, we've been overcome with anxiety and the troubles and the wonderings and the worryings of life. And we need Jesus to run into our life during this series and say, find in me peace and joy. And that's only where you're going to find true peace and joy. This is what we said last week. Because in that, God's presence is the antidote to anxiety. We talked about this last week. Okay? Talked about this last week, that anxiety is actually a signal, right? Anxiety is not necessarily the source, right? And, and so we're not out to, like, defeat anxiety. Anxiety is a signal of something deeper going on. It's like a thermostat to your life, right? If the thermostat is off or it's telling you that the inside temperature is off, right, you've got to figure out what the source is to that, right? And when you figure out what the source is, anxiety tells me this, that something is sitting in place of God in my life, that I'm holding something up to fulfill something that cannot, it cannot fulfill and replacing God. I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my life on the brink of something fulfilling that that is not Jesus. What we said is this, that my only source of peace, my only true source of peace can be Jesus. And that when I understand peace with Jesus, right, being the only source that will free me from the anxiety and the worries of this world, then I can start to experience the peace of Jesus or the peace of God, as Paul writes. The peace of God is found in his presence. But you and I need Jesus first and foremost. 
you and I cannot exist in the presence of God or exist in a relationship with God without Jesus stepping in the way and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Last week, I spoke to my own anxiety, right? Approval, achievement, uh, uh, acceptance, all those things create deep relational anxiety inside of me that I strive for and live for. The only one that can meet all of those perfectly is Jesus. When I understand peace with God is only found when I connect my life to Jesus, then I'll continue to run back to Jesus in my daily life, which connects me to the peace of God found in his presence. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk through, we're going to talk through what does it look like to experience the presence of God found in Jesus as we navigate the complexities and troubles and stressors and anxieties of life. Because here's the reality, eyes up here. You may have said yes to Jesus, and you're like, I thought it was done once I said yes to Jesus, right? I thought anxieties would be over. I thought worries would be over, stressors would be over. And you're like, what in the world is happening? I'm still freaking out about things. I'm still not sure about things. And that is where he says, only in me can you find peace and joy. We gotta keep running back into him because he is the only true source of that. And if my true source of peace is found in him, my place of presence will also be found in him. And that's where I'll experience the peace of God in the midst of it. So Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is where we're gonna be. This week, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about celebrating the God who is present. We're going to have fun in the midst of this series, trust me, right? Celebrating the God who is present. Because ultimately, that's the starting place in all of this. And this is where Paul starts, which might be shocking to some of us. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He continues into verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whoever is true, or whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellence or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What I love about this passage is this, and we're just going to walk through it, okay? We're going to have some guests come, and they're going to share with you, but we're going to walk through this the next four weeks, just through this passage of Philippians 4. What I love about what Paul is doing here, okay, to give you some context, Paul is writing to a church, a church that is in Philippi. And he's writing to a church to encourage them. He's writing to a church because he is encouraged by them and encouraged with what God is doing. But he is not in any sort of fancy circumstances. He is in a Roman prison. And so he is writing from circumstances, troubles that are quite extensive and have a lot of things tied to them. And as he's writing this, he starts in verse 4. Let's go back to verse 4 because literally this is all we're going to look at. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, right? That's where Paul starts in this passage. That's the starting point. That is the place where he launches into how do we navigate, right? And I think he was kind of prophetically speaking to what we navigate mentally right now, but how do you navigate circumstances that are not great? 
How do you navigate circumstances that don't make sense or relationships that aren't working out? How do you navigate the troubles of the world? How do you navigate anxiety and stress and worry? And he starts in a place that often you and I would never start. He says, rejoice. He says, rejoice. We'll talk about this a lot because I think Paul maybe... Uh, maybe prophetically, or maybe just he is this, this smart, knew that that is the last place that we generally go, right? And ultimately, what that passage, what this verse is saying is joy in the Lord, that that's what you can translate it to. He's literally inviting us to joy in the Lord. And here's the reality, right? Here's the reality. When I get anxious, the first thing to go, joy. It is. When I get anxious, the first thing to go is joy. If you want to term happiness, excitement, right? You, you can ask my wife. You could ask my kids, right? If I am anxious about something, she's like, Joel, Joel, are you okay? Are you over here? Okay? Everybody else is laughing. Everybody's having a good time. Are you okay? Right? I zone. Because all of a sudden, my joy just gets crushed, right? I'm thinking about other things, and my gut is going, my mind is racing, my heart is pounding, right? Joy is the first thing to go for me, but here's the reality. I don't think anxiety just plays a role in that. I think it plays a major role in that. I think we are a joy-deficient society. To understand where accurate, true joy and happiness come from, that we may even struggle with how to define it, what to feel it, how to experience it, right? So it goes beyond anxiety being something where joy is taken from, right? But also, we have a hard time defining it to even know where we would find it in. To delight, we have a delight deficiency. And I think oftentimes joy is either one of two things, right? It's either me fulfilling my pleasures by taking from someone to fulfill my wants, right? So as long as I get what I want, then I can be happy and joyful. And we might experience it that way and define it that way, right? And then there's others where we would kind of look at joy and say, I'm just trying to find it. Because life has thrown me this or life has thrown me that or I'm not really sure what to do with this or that. I'm not sure what it looks like. There's a former pastor, his name is John Mark Comer, and he would define joy with three statements, which I think is fascinating, and maybe three statements that you and I would not always connect joy to. He would say this, joy is a feeling, joy is a condition, joy is a discipline. Joy is a feeling, joy is a condition, joy is a discipline, right? What he would say is this, whether you agree with it or not is not the point, but joy is a feeling that you can connect the idea of joy and happiness as something that you can experience when you delight in something or someone. There exists joy, right? When you're in your happy place, when you're at the cabin, when you're fishing, right? When you're throwing the football, when you're watching that TV show, when you're with your family, right? When you're eating that smorgasbord of a Christmas meal or Thanksgiving meal and you're like joyful about it, right? Those things. There is a feeling attached to it, a feeling of excitement, a feeling of happiness when you truly enjoy something or someone. And I experienced this just a few days ago, just about a week ago, actually. And you should be encouraged by this, okay? I share this to brag on some other people that hang out here with me on a regular basis. We got the staff and our steering team together and the spouses and families for dinner, we got together for dinner just to have fun, to eat together, and to talk about where God's taken us over the next few years, right? And there was just pure joy found in that setting. It was an absolute blast, which should encourage you, right? 
Your leaders here are joyful and excited about being together and doing what God has led them into. But what I found fascinating is this. I found fascinating is this, that it was not challenging to get them joyful. They walked into the room and there was conversation, there was laughter, stories being shared, which I won't share from the front because I don't want to blackmail anybody, right? But here's the reality. We had a hostess helping us. And when she was not serving dinner, she was just sitting back and watching the conversation. And she started to laugh at the conversation and the stories. You know that joy is being experienced when those outside of the conversation want to be so much in the conversation, they are just a part of it by their expressions. There's a joy, there's a joy and a feeling of being together and being surrounded by people you love and talking about things you love and being inside of that, right? And I love it because God, I think, often... Right? He, he, he often gets viewed as this guy upstairs that's mad at the world, or this guy upstairs that has uh, something out against us, right? But our God is a joyful God. He's a personal and relational God. He feels it. There's an emotion tied to it, right? He loves us. And the joy of the Lord, right, that exudes from him. But it's also a condition, right? It's also a condition. As you follow Jesus... And as you continue to walk after him, you turn away from this, you believe in him as savior, you follow him with the rest of your life, all of a sudden your heart gets connected to what it looks like to be joyful, to look like Jesus. You start to become more like Jesus. You start to follow him more and you start to exude that more. We see in Galatians that Paul is writing this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I heard someone on a podcast say that uh, some scholars think that Paul ordered this very specifically as kind of most important down, right? Love, clearly, right? Sacrificial love. And then you got joy. Followers of Christ should be the most joyful people in a room. It's not always true, and I'm not bashing us, because I, you can ask anybody around me at times, right? I'm cranky pants sometimes, right? We should be joyful, and it should be a condition of becoming more joyful because we have something to long for and hope for. We have someone who's come to save us. We have someone that's around us. And so when we celebrate in here, and we get excited about baptisms, we get excited about what God is doing, right? I'm like, you should be as loud as you can. We have something to cheer about that doesn't end after a fourth quarter, that doesn't end after a relationship, that doesn't end after circumstances play out just the way I want to, right? We have something to cheer about. The last one is joy is a discipline. And this is where we're going to lean into, okay? Because I wonder if Paul, in verse 4 of Philippians 4, was articulating rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, as joying in the Lord as a discipline. Right? Because he is in the worst of circumstances, that he is in a circumstance that wouldn't just naturally make you feel like joyful. Prison, I'm in there, I'm doing the thing, right? Maybe is tied to a condition, but I think there's a discipline to be said about. Something that if you and I key into in the midst of our anxiety, our stressors, our worries, we all of a sudden tap into something unique and beautiful about who God is in the midst of when junk goes down. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But here's what you got to know about Paul. Philippians 1 tells us where he's at. 
He's in the midst of his chains. This is where Philippians 1 goes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I love about Paul is he always like spins, right, to make negative things positive things. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's in a Roman prison. Everybody else kind of knows that, right? And he's sharing the gospel in the midst of it. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What I love about Paul, he's like, this is the dirty situation, the awful situation I'm in, and God is using it for his glory. And then he goes on to say this. Now listen, eyes up here. This is by far the most anti-anxious statement I have ever heard. Verse 21 of Philippians 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How awesome is that? You ever thought about that statement? I think a lot of times I think about that statement as something to pursue or something to live for. Paul, I don't think he's trying to make a statement about anything or a necklace or a t-shirt or like, now we got to go try harder. I think he's like, I'm at this point where I'm experiencing the presence of God where peace and joy is found. So for me to live in the midst of this, we're going to share Jesus. To die, i got to be with Jesus. He's like win-win. And he, in the midst of all that's going on, has this presence about himself. And I think it is found in how he joys in the Lord and how he kind of leans into God in the midst of all that is going on. And so what I would kind of challenge us upon today is this. What would it look like to worship instead of worry, right? Worry needs to be replaced with worship. Worry needs to be replaced with worship, right? Because here's the reality. Worries are going to follow you throughout your life. Just are. Troubles. Jesus said there will be troubles in this world. And in the midst of the troubles, he said, but I want you to know that in me there is joy. And so, if you're someone and you're newer to Jesus, you're newer to God, you're newer to church, or maybe you're trying to kind of sift through that right now, my encouragement would be this. See Jesus, hear Jesus, lean into Jesus in these moments. Because only in connecting your life to him and continuing to follow after him Will this become a condition of your heart and a discipline that starts to play out in your life? I cannot, I cannot in of myself worry less and worship more. It is something that over time as I follow Jesus, he makes very apparent to me and encourages me in. And there are times where I have to discipline myself to do so. If you're a follower of Christ and you struggle with anxiety, okay, like I shared last week my story, welcome to the club, you're not alone here. You, there's nothing of an expectation of what you should be or shouldn't be or where you should be at. But let this be encouraging to you. Because I think the farthest thing that we would think of starting at is where Paul starts because he knows that's the place we actually need most. We actually need to sit there, right? I think about my dad when I think about Paul writing this, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. He's talking to a group of people. He's in this situation. And I think of my dad who led our family just amazingly and walked through really hard stuff and navigated it, right? And when he came to me and I was having a hard time, when I was down and out, when I wasn't feeling great, when circumstances weren't going well, the first thing that he would say or one of the first things he would say to me is he'd look at me and he said, keep your head up, right? Keep your head up. He's an old ball coach, and so it was like football, right? 
said, keep your head up. There was something to attaching, right? That to understanding, it's not all over. It's not all done. And I think Paul, in some way, but ultimately God, is looking at us, especially if you navigate anxiety, and he's saying, keep your head up and focused on the one who you can celebrate in the midst of what may be happening. Keep your head up. Because listen, there's a God who stands with you, and we'll talk about this in a moment, who stooped towards you and stays with you in the midst of it. Keep your head up, because there's a God we're celebrating in the midst of awful circumstances. Keep your head up, because there's a God who hasn't left you in the midst of that relationship that didn't go the way you planned. Keep your head up, because there's a God we're celebrating, right? And as you lean into that, you start to see where is he taking us. Like I said, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says this literally saying, continually and habitually rejoice in the Lord. And I can struggle oftentimes to place worship in front of worry. Why? Two things, we talked about it, right? Problems of the world, and I would say guilt of my life. There are two things that often get in the way of me worshiping instead of worrying. It's problems, which we talked about briefly, and guilt in my life. Keeps me from focusing and keeping my head up to the one who is and will always be. And so this would be my invitation to you, right? Two things that I want you to lean into, what it looks like to replace worry with worship and why it is so important to be disciplined in it even when you don't feel like it. Because feelings, right, are real, but they're not always reality. They're real, but they're not always reality. So the first thing I would say is this. Worship reflects on his sovereignty instead of my suffering. Now, what I'm not saying is your suffering isn't something to talk about or you can't wrestle with it, or you can't talk to God about it. What I'm saying is this. Worship creates a perspective inside of me that I cannot do inside of myself. And I think for me, it's easy to sit and watch the TV or sit and watch my life or sit and and play back what that person said to me or that decision they made towards me and kind of wring my hands and be like, what do I do about it? I'm nervous about it. I'm anxious about it. I'm not sure how to navigate this. Where do I go with this? And I I just sit there and I ponder things and anxiety starts to build up inside of me. And it's easy to sit inside of that moment. Listen here. It's easy to sit inside of that moment where I'm dealing with that. And all of a sudden what happens is it goes to woe is me. It's really easy for anxiety to create the conversation instead of allowing God to create the conversation. And all of a sudden, I start to, woe is me, and all of a sudden, anxiety has made its home in me, and I start to make decisions based off of that. Well, what does it look like to see the sovereignty of God? Well, sovereignty most literally means his control and management of the universe. Our God is over every detail of the universe, including your life, right? And I love this, because what he's encouraging is in worship, to see that he is in control and that he is overall, including your life. I was pondering this over the last two weeks as I was studying through Philippians and just kind of anxiety stuff. And I was fascinated at the fact that God gives us a day at a time. I plan a year out. I know what I'm doing a year from now, right? I, because I'm crazy like that, right? 
You might plan a year out. You might just plan today, right? It don't matter where you're at. God only gives us today. He only promises today. He only gives us a second at a time and a minute at a time. Because I think that is a part of the journey of trusting in him, recognizing his sovereignty overall, that you and I really don't get to make the plans. He does, right? And the reality is in the midst of that, he cares for us. Matthew 6, this is what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, whatever you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Which I think is hilarious that he says that, right? It's just a reality. You and I don't think about it. We live it. It's like, nope, worry, I cannot add anything. I just worry and lose time, actually. Can you add? To- nope, I'm deleting time by worrying, right? He's like, you're so much more precious. So, verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wisdom from Jesus, right? Amid the world's troubles and my own sufferings, he has given me a day at a time. How humbling is that? He's given me a day at a time, and I think he's given me a day at a time to ultimately lean into him and his sovereignty a day at a time. That that may be the path of understanding our God for you is understanding that you are not in control, he is. That you are not the manager of the universe, he is. That you are not the one who is ruling and reigning over all, he is. And he's given you a day at a time to sit inside of moments of celebrating him and worshiping him, enjoying in him, to recognize that he loves you and simultaneously he is over all and he wants what's best for you. That in the midst of that, though, you might face circumstances that don't make sense. You might face circumstances that on this earth we would never know or understand why they happened or why they're going about, and yet he promises us, as we read in Romans 8, that he leads to all things that are good in him. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That in the midst of what's going on, God is not always going to work things out to how I want to define it or how I think it should play out. He is going to work all things out for his glory and the good news of Jesus. And in that, we get to celebrate him and worship him, trusting in his sovereignty of that. Listen, for some of us, that's that's where we're at. It is we are in the midst of maybe circumstances, situations, people stuff that we had never foreseen And right now, maybe anxiety has you thinking about what if this, or where do I go from here, or what do I do with that, or what's tomorrow going to deal me? In worshiping and placing worship as a discipline, joying in the Lord as a discipline, delighting in the Lord as a discipline, positions him and his sovereignty right in front of you, that in all things, as you pursue him, he is going to work out for his glory and his good news to be displayed. And in the midst of that, I can find joy because I'm not the one that has to figure it out, that I'm not the one that has to be in control, that I can trust in the one who is, and I can have joy in the day that he's given me and that he's going to provide for me because I'm way more valuable than the birds of the air. 
and I can lean into him uniquely. But it doesn't just stop there. For some of us, worship, right, aligns us, helps us understand sovereignty because we need to see that. For others of us, though, worship reminds me of his grace and not my guilt. Worship reminds me of his grace, not my guilt, right? Guilt can do a number on me and you. Guilt can be something you carry for days and days and days or years and years and years. Guilt can come in all forms, something you did, something you forgot, something you didn't do, right? But generally, guilt is this feeling of I owe you, right? I owe you. I owe you something. I have this guilt that I've let you down or that, that I haven't made the mark or I've missed the mark or something hasn't attached itself well. And I can live with guilt. And what generally happens is this, right? Guilt can do a number of things. And I can respond to guilt in a number of ways. I can compound it, right? For some of us, we live with guilt and we just say, we're in this far, we might as well just keep going in, right? We might as well just keep living, that way. We might as well just keep doing that thing. We might as well just keep doing this over here. I got to just compound it. I'm this far in. Why not just go deeper? For those of us, we try to cover it, right? Guilt can be something you cover. And we can cover that in a whole lot of different ways. We can be addicted to substances. We can be addicted to people. We can be addicted to religion. As long as I just cover it and do enough good, do enough substances, hang out with enough people, sleep with enough people, then I'll just kind of make my way through life and be fine with it. But no matter where you fall in that spectrum, we all end up carrying it. And for some of us, that's where anxiety lies at, is that you end up carrying this backpack of rocks that gets heavier and heavier and heavier the longer that you journey up the mountain of life, per se. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier, and you can't figure out how to release it there's an anxiety that comes with that. What do I do about this? Or how do I get that figured out? Or what do I go and what do I do with this person over here? And I just feel all this guilt on top of me and I, I'm just gonna break at some point. Reality is this. What I love about Jesus is he tells us don't compound it, right? Don't, don't cover it. Don't try to cover it. Those things aren't gonna work. They're just gonna add more rocks to your bag that you're gonna carry. And he says, don't worry about carrying it anymore. He says, cast it on me. The reality is this, when I start to worship, join the Lord uniquely, I start to be able to cast my guilt onto him and be covered by his grace. That his grace is enough. That his grace is this gift that I get to receive and nothing I've done for. And he has taken my guilt upon himself and he has put it on the cross and he has killed it at the resurrection. He's invited me to experience life in him. And that life found in him is casting it on to Jesus no matter how much, no matter how far, no matter what circumstance. What I love about this is Peter, Peter speaks into the anxieties of the world and he uses similar language. First Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's the reality. Here's what worship does in my life. It allows me to cast my anxiety, my worries, my frets, my fears, my stressors onto the one who cares 
and onto the one who has dealt with it. The one who cares for me and crucified them on that cross for me. I could not do for myself. How, how do we know that we can trust Jesus? One, he can deal at that level, but he's dealt at a deeper level than you and I could ever deal with for ourselves. That we can trust that we can cast our anxiety on Jesus because we can cast our sins onto him and he invites that. How can I trust that I can cast my worries on him because I can cast the mess of my life onto him? How can I trust I can cast the stressors on him because I can cast all the things I've done onto him and he says, I will offer you grace in the midst of that. I'm gonna offer you freeness. I'm gonna offer you life. I'm gonna offer you identity, not because of anything you've done, but because of who you've run to that by my blood and my body taking the place for you, you can experience grace through faith by saying yes to me. Here's the reality. We can worship God and worship Jesus and worship and be joyful in him because of what he's done for us by his grace, by what he's done for us that we could not do, that we can trust him in the midst of all that is going on not just for my anxieties, but for my life. Joy is not found in dismissing the troubles or guilt, but casting it on the one who already has defeated evil, who's defeated sin, who's defeated the world in a sense. He says, come to me. And the more that I learn to celebrate, worship, and joy as a discipline, the more I start to believe in his sovereignty and his grace. When guilt and when troubles start to seep in. Is it perfect all the time? Nope, it's not. Is it great all the time? Nope, it's not. It doesn't always go great, right? Are the circumstances always going to work out the way I think they're going to work out? Nope, they're not. But here's the reality. We have a God who is in it with us. What I love about our God, and I heard it phrased this way, we have a God who stands, who stoops, and who stays. That we have a God right now who is sovereign over all and standing in the heavens. That he is standing in the heavens looking over all of his creation, all of the universe which he has created and sustained and provided for for the entirety that this world has been around. He is the one who is king over all. He is the one who knows every circumstance that is gonna happen. He's the one that knows every hair on our head. He is standing right there all the time. He doesn't take a back seat. He doesn't stand and look over us and say, what are you guys doing for me? He is standing there in his loving presence, all powerful presence, all holy presence, and he is present to us in the midst of that, and he is also simultaneously in control when we think everything's out of control. That is our God. But the good news of God and the good news of Jesus doesn't just stop there. Our God has stooped towards us. And this is the most baffling thing because for some of us, we're like, yeah, I know God stands in the heavens and I know that he is there and he's all powerful, right? But that's where we leave him. And so he becomes impersonal. He becomes unrelational. He becomes distant. Our God has stooped towards us in the person of Jesus Christ. He came down to this earth was what we talked about with Christmas and he was laid in a manger. He lived a pretty anonymous life for 30 years until his ministry started and then he went to the cross to do for, what, uh, for us what we could not do for ourselves and then he rose again so we could have life. 
he stooped towards us, our loving God came down. He says, I am going to enter the mess. Jesus experienced every temptation, every trouble, every suffering that you and I experienced, and yet he walked through it perfectly and navigated it perfectly, even though it was completely messy. He understands you. You have anxiety? Jesus sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a new level of anxiety right there. He stooped towards you, and he went on mission for you. And that's why we can trust this, that he stays with us. Listen, he is with you right now. The presence of Jesus does not leave you if you've said yes to Jesus. It's not like we have to do some magical trick and some magical dance up here to get the presence of Jesus. He is with you through the Holy Spirit who uh, uh, makes its home in your heart. And the reality is this, eyes up here, eyes up here, the good news of Jesus tells me he is simultaneously standing, stooping, and staying with me in the mess. And as I celebrate and find joy in him, I find the reality of all those things, that he is good, and he is glorious, and he is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful, and he's reigning, and he's in control, and that he has come down, and he's defeated evil and sin, and given me life, and identity, and mission, and he's given me a new community, and a new life to run with in the midst of this life. And he didn't just go and say, figure it out yourself. He sent us a helper, an advocate, the spirit, and he is present with us. And for some of us, listen, for some of us, worshiping God, doing joy as a discipline, okay, which, which means raising your hands when you don't feel like it, getting down in prayer when you don't feel like it. It means putting on a celebration for God even when circumstances don't call for it will tell me that he is with me and make me trust in that reality. His grace and his sovereignty. Every Sunday morning, I wasn't gonna share this, but every Sunday morning I get here early and I pray. And most of the time, you know what my prayers are about? It's aligning my thoughts and my heart to who God truly is and what he's truly done for me and who I am in light of that. And yeah, to try, you know, I got to do this, and I got a sermon to preach, and then you know this is a crazy day, so we got this going on, and I have to refocus. I have to refocus, to refocus every day, because I have a God who stands and stoops towards me and stays with me in the midst of all that's going on. I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to do something unique to end, but I want to lose your focus yet, okay? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. For some of us, for some of us, right, we are delight deficient. We can't define joy. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where to find it. We don't know what to do with it. We're not sure how to navigate this life, and you've never connected your life to Jesus, maybe. And here's the reality. You have a God who is standing in the heavens and looking down on you, and he cares so deeply about you and loves you. And at the same time, he is in complete control. He is in complete authority. He's in complete kingship overall. And he cares about you. He cares about you deeper than the birds of the air. He's going to provide for you and protect you. He's with you in that. But at the same time, that God is not distant. He came down in the person of Jesus to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
and to promise you that he is with you in the mess and even after all that, he stays with you in the midst of it. For some of you, it's connecting your life to Jesus for the first time this morning. There's a passage in Hebrews, I believe it's found, says that Jesus, right, joyed in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of the cross. And I believe the joy that Jesus was looking to and attaching to was us. There was a joy in the midst of what he went through because he knew that relationship would be restored with us. So in the midst of rejoicing, sometimes it's a feeling, sometimes it's a condition of following Jesus, sometimes it's a discipline. I start to focus my eyes upon the cross, it becomes a joy to sit realize what he's done for me. For some of you, it's coming to the realization that only joy will be found when you place your eyes on the cross and attach your life to the only one who can give you fulfillment of joy and help you navigate the mess of life. For others of us, we've attached to Jesus. We're like, I'm still facing all of this crazy, right? You need to latch on to joy as a discipline because worship will change your heart and perspective in the midst of anxieties and stresses. Will you face it? Yep, you'll still face it. Will it come after you? Yep. That relationship, that circumstance, that, that scenario will still come up. Learning how to celebrate him from the get-go allows you to align your heart to who he truly is in the midst of it. There's a passage, Dan, I think that was the last passage from Hebrews. What the writer of Hebrews says, sorry, I'll read it so that um, you guys can understand it. Keep your lives free from love money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's his promise to you. So today, what we're gonna do is something a little bit different. That we're gonna do something a little bit different in the sense of how he responds. I'm going to invite you to think about it in two ways. First is, in light of this conversation, will you respond in worship? I, I don't know everybody's story, but I know there are circumstances, scenarios, anxieties, stressors, people stuff that are happening right now that is just, to be honest, crappy, unfair, doesn't make sense frustrating, ridiculous, tragic, all of the above. And I come up here and we're talking about rejoicing the Lord and you're like, uh, yeah, right, Joel. It is so much easier to talk about it when circumstances and people stuff's going well than it is to sit in it when everything is burning. I get that. The true test of joy of faith of grace impacting your life is your willingness to worship in the midst of the trials and the troubles and so my encouragement would be this are you willing to respond in worship you're like what's that look like are you willing to respond with arms lifted high as we sing are you willing to respond by going to prayer and just celebrating who god is in the midst of it are you willing to em embrace someone in prayer maybe maybe someone around you needs prayer if you need prayer, find me up here. The Merkles are up here. Steve Testa's back there, right? Finding someone that you can celebrate God with, respond in worship with, and pray with, maybe is your response.